Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Chapter 9 we'll find in our uh, session here. It uh, centers around the conversion of Saul, who was eventually going to become the Apostle Paul. And it actually brings us now uh, to the man that the Lord is going to use as the Apostle of the Gentiles. Uh, Once, uh, as we'll see in the following chapter or so, how Peter opens the door to the Gentiles. So uh, Peter is the one, as we'll see, (coughs) pardon me, uh, Peter is the one that the Lord uses to open the door to the Gentiles. And Paul is the apostle that steps into that door. But here he's known as Saul and we have the account of his conversion. Actually in uh, the book of Acts we have about three accounts of uh, Paul's conversion. Uh, Some have a few extra details here and there. But three major chapters dealing with his uh, conversion here. Now you'll notice uh, our progression so far here particularly in relation to the three men. We've uh, had Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as the first martyr, one of the deacons there and then uh, in Acts chapter 8 we have Philip in Acts chapter 8 as an evangelist and now we come to Saul who's going to become the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 and Saul is first introduced to us in the last verse of Acts chapter 7, the last few verses there where they laid the uh, Stephen's clothes clothing at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. Uh, Traditional history tells us that Saul was probably about 30 years or so at that time. And so you just see the progression here. Stephen, Acts 7, Philip, Acts chapter 8, and Saul who's going to become the apostle to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 9. Now let's read uh, verse 1 and 2 here for a start. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he, if he found any of this way or literally the way uh, whether they were men or women he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem now this is the outline we're going to follow so if you're taking down the outline uh, just take it down a section of time under verse 1 and 2 we're going to look at the Pharisee Saul uh, and then under B, section B verses 3 through to 9 we're going to look at uh, his conversion to Christ And then under C, verses 10 through to 18, we're going to look at Ananias, who I personally believe was a prophet. And then under D, verses 19 through to 22, uh, we uh, see Saul preaching Christ. And then under section E, we're introduced to Barnabas, who uh, sort of becomes the uh, one that introduces Saul to the apostles at Jerusalem, verses 23 to 30. And then uh, verses uh, or section F, uh, we have uh, a fourfold statement about the churches in Judea and Samaria there in verse 31, that is, verse 31. So I'd like us to look at section A here on the Pharisee Saul. And I want you to go over to, um, uh, let's see, let's go over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And for those of you, of you who are taking down notes, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 through to 7. 
Now, it's really important for us to understand uh, the man we're looking at. Remember, he's not, he's not a little Jesus boy. He's not a hippie boy, uh, anything like that. He's a Pharisee. He's a very religious man. Uh, he's, not, uh, he's not living a wicked, sinful life as far as externals are concerned. And uh, one of the things that used to bother me many years ago was that uh, uh, when people would get saved, uh, some, some of them actually tried to outdo each other who was the worst sinner and uh, used the pulpit to glamorize sin. So someone would get up and say, well, I, I've had a dozen men in my life and the next girl would get up and say, well, I had 15, I beat her by three and off. So, so all that is glamorizing sin and using the pulpit to glamorize sin. And uh, so the bigger the sinner you were, the more you got the pulpit. And uh, I'm sure many of us have been, uh, been like this because I used to feel this many years ago. And when I'd hear these people, you know, testify and say, you know, I used to drink and smoke and swear and uh, live with women and the whole business, I used to think, I wish I had a testimony like that. Maybe I'll just backslide and live like the devil and then I'll have a good testimony and get the pulpit. But how many know it's a greater miracle for God to save you from, from that type of thing than just save you in it? Okay, so the enemy can use that to condemn people. We praise God for everybody who's saved from such a lifestyle. But it doesn't glorify God anymore. Sin doesn't glorify God. So thank God if he saved you out of it, but thank God if he saved you from it. Everybody said amen. amen. So we're looking at a very religious man. So listen to uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 through to 7. And in this... Uh, section Paul lists about eight things about himself particularly, particularly uh, about his own state as a Pharisee, as a, uh, as a Jew and uh, so forth. So let's uh, pick up in verse, uh, verse 1. Finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord. This epistle always is, encourages me because Paul has three finalies in Philippians. Are you breathing tonight? Because sometimes I say finally three times and it gives me an excuse to keep the message going a little bit. Okay. Uh, so Paul did it, so I got off him. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. And he's not talking about four-legged dogs. He's talking about those that have dog collars and walk into the collar, or back into it. No, walk into their collar. Uh, I'm sure they didn't appreciate that. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have co no confidence in the flesh. And now he lists about eight things that you might like to make a note of because we're looking at the man Saul. The man Saul that has received uh, letters of permission to persecute uh, people of the way. <coughs> so he's not just a uh, living like the devil or anything like that. So he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he have uh, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Number one, circumcise the eighth day. So, circumcision, as we know from previous sessions, uh, is the, the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant. It was referred to as the covenant of circumcision. So he's in covenant relationship with God, according to the Abrahamic covenant, uh, circumcision of the flesh. <clears throat> Number two, 
he says, I am of the stock of Israel. So he's of the chosen nation. He's of pure Hebrew origin there. He's of the stock of Israel. Number three, he is of the tribe of Benjamin. And that means he comes from Rachel. Not Jacob's handmaids, but of a proper wife. Uh, he's of the tribe of Benjamin, the 11th son there. The 12th son, Joseph was the 11th, that's right. He, Benjamin was the 12th. And then number four, he says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. There's no half-caste guy about here. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, not half-caste. At number five, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Very high a position here and what they had to learn. In fact, if I remember correctly, they had to know the whole of the uh, Pentateuch off by heart. How many uh, think that would put us to shame? The five books of Moses they had to know off by heart. So he's a Pharisee, he's touching the law, a Pharisee. The straightest of sects, he says in other, other uh, places, are testifying. Then number seven, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Very zealous man. And then number, uh, number, what was that? Number six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Number seven, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now I want to add one word here without getting too uh, uh, diverted here. Touching the righteousness as far as external righteousness is concerned. So when you go through the Ten Commandments, uh, don't have any other gods before me, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, and don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your parents, don't bear false witness, and so forth. All those things touching the righteousness of the Lord, the external righteousness, he was blameless. There was only one commandment out of the ten that convicted him, and that was number ten. Because number 10 commandment was the one that deals with the root of sin. The other nine commandments deal with the fruit of sin. We dealt with that when we dealt uh, in the series on the 10 commandments several years back. So touching the righteousness of the law, blameless, uh, externally righteous, a morally righteous man he was. And then number eight, which is not here, he was a tent maker. And uh, Watchman Nee brings out a very significant thing in regards to the apostles. He says that uh, the Lord Jesus chose Peter and John, who were fishers of men, and they became, particularly Peter, became the great fisher of men in the book of Acts. The uh, 3,000 souls saved, 5,000 souls saved, multitudes of men and women uh, saved under Peter's ministry because he was the fisher of men. So the Lord Jesus took his natural trade and it became symbolic of his spiritual ministry, a fisher of men letting down the net and getting a miraculous catch. And uh, Watchman Eve goes on to say the same about Saul. Saul was a tent maker. And so the Lord used his natural tent making of building a, a house, accommodation, a dwelling place as a spiritual of building the house of the Lord, the church. And I think that's a very significant thing. That often happened. All right, so number eight, he was a tent maker. And then number nine, uh, though it's not in this passage here, uh, he also had uh, dual citizenship. He, uh, he had Roman citizenship as well as being a Jew. And this was going to come to his advantage in some times. Uh, by the way, his name means destroyer. So Saul means destroyer and Paul means worker. So when his name was changed from Saul, destroyer, uh, to Paul, he, he came uh, from being a destroyer of the church to being a worker for the Lord. So that's the picture of the man that we have here. Uh, I can't get too sidetracked on this, but uh, 
because there's so many vast things here. It's a real interesting thing to do a study of the, uh, the, the two Saul's mentioned in the Bible, the Saul of the Old Testament and the Saul of the New Testament. Uh, I'll just touch a couple of these things. Uh, this man Saul, King Saul here, was of the tribe of Benjamin. And this Saul here was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, this man Saul here uh, began, uh, was anointed by a prophet, Samuel, to be king. And personally, I believe, as we'll see, uh, and if you disagree, disagree agreeably with me, I believe it was a prophet that came to this uh, New Testament Saul here, Ananias, and gave a prophetic word to him about his ministry, which we'll see. And then this man Saul began his ministry as a king on the foundation of three days. And this man Saul began his ministry on the foundation of three days. Uh, and as you go through the tragedy of this man here after being anointed, he ends up in spiritism and he actually lost the crown. He lost the crown here, committed suicide. This man Saul ends up warning against spiritualism and he said, I've gained the crown. And it's just a remarkable study. And it's almost as if the Lord Jesus Christ took the New Testament Saul and made up in the New Testament Saul all that he'd lost in the Old Testament Saul. I've done in my own studies quite a, an extensive comparison between the Old Testament Saul and the New Testament Saul. Both from the tribe of Benjamin, both uh, founded in three days and three nights, both had a prophet, prophetic word, but one loses the crown uh, and ends up in spiritism and suicide. The other one gains the crown and becomes a martyr. So that's the uh, interesting thing here. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 9 now. So the Pharisee Saul. So it's this Saul, all he was, circumcised of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, is a Pharisee, strictest of sects, uh, regarding uh, external lifestyle, zealous, persecuting the church, a blameless, upright man as far as external righteousness is concerned. So he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest, the highest religious authority in the land. And so he asked of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and those of you who have the, either the New King James or some of the other translations bring it out a bit clear, uh, literally, if he found any of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And one of the names of the early church believers was, they were called the people of the way. Very, very interesting study to follow that through. So here he is on the way to uh, Damascus. Many people say he's on a donkey. We've got no proof of that. But he's on the way to Damascus the capital of Syria, and suddenly the light shined round about him from heaven. So now we're coming to section B, the conversion to Christ. Let me read a few scriptures and then make some comments. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city and shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Now, let's just look at the scene here that we've got. Saul is this religious man, and he's got these letters to go into the synagogues if he finds any people of the way. 
that he would bring them bound to Jerusalem and uh, many of them were put to death. Now what we've got to realize is this, here is a man that is steeped in the Old Testament law, the Old Testament scriptures. And in the Old Testament scriptures it said, in fact, uh, why, don't, why, why don't we look at at least a couple, of the, uh, a couple of verses here. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. I think it's Deuteronomy 13 because we've, we've got to sort of get into the mind of this man to understand what he's doing. Because when he writes to Timothy later on, he said, I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Yes, Deuteronomy chapter 13. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them thou should not hearken to the words of that prophet or that dream of dreams for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and then uh, there's also uh, chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. And verse uh, 20. Chapter 18, verse 20. These are warnings against false prophets. But the prophet which shall, shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath sp uh, spoken it presumptuously, thou should not be afraid of him. So, so as you go through the Old Testament, and Paul is saturated with this, that if anybody arose, uh, a religious leader, a prophet or anybody, and he showed signs and wonders and began to draw people after him and uh, they began to follow him or idolize him and worship him, then that prophet was to be stoned. In fact, as you go through the book of Deuteronomy particularly, uh, they were to hang this person on the tree and put away idolatry in Israel. So in Saul's mind, What's happened recently, in the last number of years, the last several years or so, there's this man, Jesus of Nazareth. People have been calling him a prophet. And uh, he's been showing signs and wonders, he's been teaching things that Israel has never heard. He even referred to God being his father. And he referred to himself as the son of God and son of man. He's been using messianic titles. And he's been uh, drawing people after himself. They've been, they've been deserting the synagogues. He's been causing division. And he's been going right through the cities of, 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 of Judea, Jerusalem, and uh, finally the priests have caught up with him. So what have they done? They've done what the scripture said. They've hung him on a tree. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. But now what's made this thing really bad is he even used the name of God. He said to the Pharisees once before Abraham was, I am. So he's just a real magician. And so the religious leaders have crucified him, they've hung him on a tree, but what's made the thing really bad now is that his disciples and this rabble crowd, harlots and prostitutes and drunkards and sinners, all the, the tax gatherers, all this bunch of riffraff, and fishermen, smelly fishermen, 
He doesn't pick any of the priests, he doesn't pick any of the Pharisees and the scribes and all these lovely religious leaders. He's out in the desert with all this rabble and says he's going to build his own church. So he's dangerous. And so the thing that's made it really bad now is that a bunch of them have concocted this story that uh, he's risen from the dead. And we know jolly well that they stole his body, pushed the Romans over, knocked them cold, and stole his body and hid it away somewhere, and they propagated this lie that he's risen from the dead, and now it's just splitting the synagogues everywhere, people are worshipping him, the whole thing has become cultic. How many understand what I'm saying here? See, this is what's in this man's mind. So now here he is on the road to Damascus, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter, it's not pepsodent. He's just raging mad that this man has called himself I am. They're even worshipping him as God. And this is the biggest blasphemy that the Jews are doing who should know the scriptures. They're calling Jesus Lord. And that's the name of God, the name of deity. So I've just got to stop this cult uh, that's risen in recent years and just causing havoc in Jerusalem and in all the synagogues. So here he's got all these letters, the highest authority from the high priest, and he's on the way to Damascus uh, to bring any of this way, uh, whether men or women, bound to Jerusalem. So now as he's walking along or riding along, whatever the case may be, suddenly there shines a light round about him from heaven. Just boom. And uh, the, the, the testimony in Acts chapter 22 tells us that that light was brighter than the, uh, the, uh, the noonday sun. Now, is there anyone or anything that has a light brighter than the noonday sun? Who would it be? Jesus. Uh, what, what happened when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? His face and his whole body became white as light. His face shone as the sun. So where's the sun get its light from anyway? So here's the sun shining like the sun. The S-O-N is brighter than the S-U-N. Because unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness arise with healing his wings. S-U-N. So the sun is a sun. The S-O-N is a S-U-N. But he's brighter than the S-U-N because he made the S-U-N. Is that right? This is sun glory. The glory of the sun is brighter than the sun. So uh, this light shines from heaven and so it knocked him to the earth. He fell to the earth and he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, let's ask the question, who was Saul persecuting? He's persecuting the church. He's persecuting the members of the body of Christ. Why don't you put down, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter, yeah, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 quickly. I've got to keep moving here. And see, this, this is sort of the beginning of the revelation for Saul as he was then. Why are you persecuting me? Now remember what Jesus said when the, uh, the sheep and the goats were gathered before him? And uh, he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they said, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked? Or when were you in prison? What did Jesus say? As much as you've done it to these, the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. So what Saul was doing here to the brethren or to the men and women, the members of the body of Christ, he was doing to Christ. Is that right? Ask you a question. Is that right? 1 Corinthians 8, listen to it. 
verse 11 and verse 12. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. That verse challenged me many, many years ago that if I offend people or I sin against brothers and sisters, I'm actually sinning against Christ. So it really makes me try to really be careful about my behavior. So when you sin against a brother or a sister and you wound them and their weak conscience, you're actually sinning against Christ because Christ is in them. So Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So when he was persecuting the men and the women, persecuting the members of Christ, the members of the body of Christ, he was persecuting Christ. Now, put yourself and try and get into my, uh, Saul's thinking here. This is what is going on, this cultic movement of Jesus, the Nazarene, and all these people, the synagogues are being split wide open and so forth. Uh, he's just a magician and so forth. And suddenly this light shines from heaven. Now, he must realize, I'm sure with the brilliance he was as a Pharisee, this is a supernatural visitation I'm getting. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He gave visions to Isaiah. And now I've got this supernatural light and there's a supernatural voice coming. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So what does he say, according to verse uh, 5? He said, who are you, Lord? Now who did he think he was talking to when he said this? See, uh, we've got to think of the name of the Lord. So, who art thou, Lord? Now, he's mine. More than ours would be saturated these things. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, thus shall you tell the children of Israel, my name is, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou, thou, thus shalt thou say, my name is the Lord. The Lord is my name. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Who art thou, Lord? Now, who did he think he was talking to? Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, he didn't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's thinking, oh, this is the God. Well, as far as he was concerned, the Old Testament, the, the Lord that appeared to Isaiah, the Lord that appeared to Jeremiah, the Lord that appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the Lord that appeared in visions and dreams and burning bush and theophanies and Christophanies. Who art thou, Lord? And so it must have... Well, I think just what verse 6, he trembling and astonished. And the Lord said, I, he didn't say, I am the Lord. He said, I am Jesus. Can you imagine the shock that must have been to him? Who art thou, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus. Jesus? Jesus? Oh, go back to, uh, go back to Acts chapter 7 to, to this. Verse 54, Stephen's uh, defense before the council, when they heard these things, Acts 7 uh, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth, but he being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand. And then in verse 59, uh, or verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. 
And when he had said this, he fell on sleep. And uh, as you go through Paul's testimonies, nearly all of his testimonies, he always is convicted about this. I was, I was there at the stoning of Stephen. I held his garments. And that must have just stuck in his spiritual gizzard when he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see Jesus. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. What did that, what did that do to him? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. When you persecute the men and the women and the members of my body persecuting me, it is hard for thee to be like an ox kicking against the pricks because I've given it to you. I've pricked you through Stephen. I've pricked you through Christian after Christian. I've pricked you through all that's going on in the church that you say is cultic. I've pricked you through this. And you're just kicking against the pricks. You keep kicking against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished. And how many of us would be trembling and astonished if we were in this position? And this to me is so simple and yet so powerful. What did he say? He didn't say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What did he say? What does your Bible say? Lord. And you know what, what the significance is there? He called Jesus Lord. And no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And the moment he called Jesus Lord, he was converted right there. And I believe this became such a profound thing in Paul's life because he says in the Colossian epistle, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. And now, after hearing Jesus, he says, Lord... And he called Jesus Lord. And you see, in the Old Testament, uh, Joel says, shall come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But they didn't understand that to call on the name of the Lord was to call on the name of the Lord in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's a revelation of the name. And uh, while we're on it, say, calling Jesus Lord, go across to verse 15, verse 16, uh, verse 14, 15, 16, and 21, 27, and 29. You got all those verses? I'll say it again. And I want you to notice the emphasis on the revelation of the name to this man, Saul. So he says, Who art thou, Lord? The voice says, I'm Jesus. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Verse 14. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a child. Uh, 27, the Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And verse 29, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. So one, two, three, four, five, six times in that chapter, the name, the name, the name, who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, once you notice what, uh, what this chapter says when, he's when, when it's taking place, uh, this, you know, this crucified, buried, resurrected, risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus. So he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I, I believe there's a pattern here because Paul says he was set forth as a pattern uh, literally a type to those that should believe on the Lord. And uh, the first question he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I think that's the first thing all of us should say. 
when we acknowledge his lordship. What do you want me to do? Now, notice what the Lord didn't say. The Lord didn't say to him, now I want you to get a big tent and I want you to write a magazine. Your box number will be 666. And I want you to be the mighty apostle Paul that the world is going to be looking at. Now, there's some vital lessons here. First of all, whatever he did to the church, the body of Christ, he's doing to Christ. Number two, the absolute lordship of Christ over his life. Number three, what do you want me to do? Your will be done. And number four, he says, you go into the city and it's going to be told you what you, what you must do. And see, so I've heard people over my many years say, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to get it direct from the Lord. Unless the Lord tells me, nobody's going to tell me. I don't care what anybody else says. What do you want me to do? Go into the city and it'll be told you. Yeah, but you tell me, Lord. I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. No, he's going to learn another lesson. Number five here, he's going to learn submission in the body of Christ. The very people he's persecuted in that, you go into the city and it'll be told you what you must do. Well, I'm not going. I'm going to wait till you speak to me, Lord, because I am going to be the mighty apostle Paul. I'm going to found a lot of churches. I'm going to write 14 epistles. So you tell me. No, go into the city and uh, submit to another member in the city and he'll tell you what to do. How many think they're great lessons for the big apostle Paul for all of us? And so we find uh, that he goes in the city. Now, the beautiful thing about this coming down to Ananias here, uh, when the Lord's in the thing, and we've seen this before, the Lord always works both ends. When the Lord, as the head of the church, is on a thing, he always works both ends. End number one and end number two. And then he brings them together and ties a knot here in them. So, uh, you know, he did, it, he did it with Philip. He said, Philip, go down to the desert. So the Lord's working on one end here, and he's working on the Ethiopian. He brought them together. It's chapter 8. Now chapter 9, the Lord's working on Saul this end, and he's going to work on Ananias that end. He's going to bring them together. In chapter 10, we're going to see the same thing. Chapter 10, he works on Peter this end, works on Cornelius that end, and he brings them together. You know, I believe one of the greatest things, uh, proof of, of God's will, is God working both ends. Without pulling any strings, God working on both ends, and he brings the, both ends together and ties a knot. How many can say amen to that? So he's working both ends. So here Ananias is uh, down there in verse 10, Damascus. Uh, a certain disciple, his name is a disciple. Personally, I believe he's a prophetic ministry. And uh, what a contrast. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, when it came to Saul, he said twice, Saul, Saul. But Ananias, he didn't say Ananias, Ananias. He just called him once. And sensitivity, he said, Lord, I'm here. So the Lord told him, he said, uh, and of course, in those days, they didn't have telegram, tele telephone, telewoman, telefax. Uh, pardon me. Uh, the Lord had to give them words of knowledge, words of wisdom. So he said, I'll give you the name of the street, uh, the house, the address, everything like that. I'll give you the whole business. So he's told him to go into the street called Straight and to the house of Judas. And there's one Saul and he said, he's praying. So here Saul is uh, on this end and he's praying. He's being led by the hand instead of going in on his high horse or his high donkey. He's been led by the hand blinded. That's very significant, as we'll see. And so here the Lord's working on Ananias, the other end. 
So he's going to bring them together. So uh, he gave him the address. And so the Lord is giving Saul a vision. So he tells Ananias, look, I'm giving you a vision. But Saul's seen in a vision a man by the name of Ananias coming in and laying hands on him that he might receive his sight and so forth. So Ananias said, Lord, I've heard a lot about this guy. He's a persecutor of the church. Men and women are being destroyed. He's, he's compelling people to blaspheme your name. And uh, I don't sort of feel comfortable. I haven't got my bulletproof vest on. <laughs> the Lord said, you go, you go. Now, I want you to notice some of the major things here. Time's just about through. But uh, note some of the major things that happened here. Number one, when Ananias, in fact, let's go down to verse 17, then we'll bring it together here. Uh, uh, this chapter always over, over, overwhelms me. Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, what did he say? Brother. Don't you like that? Didn't call him reverend, doctor, bishop, apostle. No titles, just brother. Brother Saul. Oh, that's a big thing right there. And note the language. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus. That must have been so powerful. Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, lay not this sin to the charge. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? And now Ananias comes and, comes and uses the very words that he heard on the road. The Lord, even Jesus. What do you think that did to Saul on the inside? What would it do to you? What, what does it do to you? What does it do to me? The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to you in the way that you came, he sent me that you might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, now, look at the things that happened here. Four things, and I think we'll sort of have to finish. Uh, number one, he laid hands on him for his healing. And in verse 18, which is a, what I call a physical, symbolic healing. Immediately there fell from his eyes as had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and rose and was baptized. So number one, scales fell from his eyes. Number two, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number three, he was water baptized. And number four, he got a prophecy concerning his total ministry, which is in verse 15. The Lord said unto him, Go thy ways, a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name, number one, before the Gentiles, number two, and kings, and number three, the children of Israel. Whole prophecy. And that's what the rest of the book be, uh, is about, really. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the children of Israel. I think that's enough for tonight, saints. We'll have to pick this up on another occasion. Everybody said Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.